We are very happy to be able to come today to study the Word of God together in the very first session of um, a Saints Network semester concerning prayer. And we pray for those of you who are joining with us in this teaching that God will let His Spirit, that God will move upon you with His Spirit and that you will allow God's Spirit to guide you into an understanding of these truths from His Word. And we as a Saints Network love the Word of God. We, we love to study the Word because it is, it is eternal. It will never pass away, and it is alive. It is, it is what the Bible says Jesus is living. He is the living Word. He is the author of this word. So we love to study the scripture and the things that we will be teaching over the years are from the word of God. They're not my opinion. They're not the opinion of people that um, that just had a uh, an epiphany or some kind of a revelation. Um, we we want to know what God's word says. And so as we pray and as we seek him God guides us into his study in the word and he shows us through the study of the word the deeper things of this living word that um, that on surface may not be readily seen and and so it's our privilege to be able to in this first semester group together a lot of things from the Word of God, particularly concerning prayer, and we pray that at the end of this <clears throat> series of teachings, uh, those of you who are, are participants in study will have grown in your understanding in what the Word of God says about prayer and what it really means for you and your service to the kingdom. And um, we'll get to our topic for the day, but one of the things that I have learned is prayer is more about you communing with God and speaking the things that He wants than what we have traditionally thought prayer is, that it's just a means to us getting what we need or getting what we think we need. So when we pray, the purpose is to commune with our Heavenly Father to hear what he's saying during that commune and let our requests and our declarations be in alignment with what his will is. Well, what about our needs? Well, the Bible says in more than one place that if we seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, he will add to us all the things that we need. In other words, if we focus on the reason we're here on earth, why God gave us life during the time that we are on earth, if we focus on serving him, he will take care of us. Now, there are times where we need to declare into our circumstance, but that's going to be based upon what the Spirit of the Lord is inspiring us to say and how and when he's wanting us to say it. Um, I, I really have seen, and I know that our saints family has seen, that prayer and the, the different dimensions of prayer throughout all the scripture are, 
are primarily about partnering with God, knowing Him, communing with Him, and doing His business, doing the business of the kingdom, doing the business of what God is wanting to accomplish throughout the world. And, um, and then, as we do that, God really does provide. He adds. He, he, he speaks. And, and he, he does exactly what we need in ways that so often we would never have been able to concoct on our own. And so, as we study through this semester concerning prayer, you're going to see that theme, no matter what word, no matter what concept we're considering from Scripture. It's all about us fulfilling our role as sons of the Most High God. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to redeem us, to, to allow us through the sacrifice of, of the cross to be born again so that we might be redeemed to the Father, that we might be brought back into that point of relationship that God ordained from the, from the foundation of the world. And um, you, we will see this over and over again. But today we're going to talk about something that is precious to every Christian who has accepted the gift that the Heavenly Father gave at Pentecost, and that is unknown tongues. I, I believe that as a, as a classic Pentecostal myself, having been born and raised within uh, the, the teachings of the, the Pentecostal experience, that I can say that it's, it's been a, a great pleasure to be able to understand more things concerning unknown tongues uh, from the Word of God, uh, to be able to understand more things than I, than I ever knew during my upbringing. And that's really the way it should be. If, if we ever come to the point where we think, all right, we've got it all now. You know, God can't teach me anything. I've been through it, brother, sister. I tell you, I've experienced it all. I've got all the gospel. I've got all the understanding. If we ever say that, we better just start digging our grave because God is always wanting to guide us into new truths in his word. God is always wanting to take us deeper. So uh, we're not going to argue and in this discussion about unknown tongues about whether this is the initial evidence of being baptized in the Spirit. That is a teaching for, for a different day. I'm speaking to people who are already speaking in unknown tongues. I'm, te I'm speaking to people who are Pentecostal in that dimension. You've spoken in unknown tongues. So I don't have to debate with you as to whether the Scripture says this is the initial evidence or how you receive it. Um, those, are, those are things that um, are, are good understandings. But our audience today is to the Pentecostal church, to the Pentecostal believer who is already speaking in unknown tongues. And so um, the beauty of this is that as, as we look at the Scripture, all of those arguments are answered. <laughs> I mean, 
You don't have to say is speaking in tongues for today if you really look at the scripture. You don't have to say uh, was this a one-off on Pentecost if you really look at the scripture. You don't have to say, well, since we've got the written scriptures now and we really are uh, a force in the world, we're really perfect and we don't need tongues anymore. If you really read the scripture, you will see that is a, is a moot point. You know, and usually when people argue about something, there's an there's an element. Um, now, if it's if it's just something you can't find in Scripture, um, then then you're arguing, uh, you're really arguing from a, from a point of opinion, and I don't like those kinds of arguments. But when you have Scripture, not, and you're not arguing on tradition, you're not arguing through obstinance where you say, well, you know. I, 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 just don't, I just don't like being around those crazy spiritual atmospheres, so I don't want to have anything to do with it. We just want to come and meet in church and go away. Um, if, if that's your argument, well, I, I, have, I have nothing really. I bless you, but I have nothing to say to you because, you know, let the Scripture speak for itself. If you want to remove passages of Scripture, that's, that's your accountability before God but for me and for those who love the word of God we we have to keep we have to keep uh, moving with what the scripture says so unknown tongues was prophesied in several places before the the day of Pentecost actually came uh, Isaiah 28 verses 10 and 11 say that uh, precept is upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. I said I wasn't going to do this, but there are some naysayers who would say, well, this really isn't speaking about unknown tongues. This is speaking about uh, another, a foreign army coming in and uh, taking over and they speak another language you you can't say that in the context of this scripture because the entire chapter of Isaiah 28 is speaking about God instructing his people and teaching them meticulously and they need to keep growing in God lest they really make a covenant with death and so this prophecy is really for us today in that continual progression of of learning and growing in the the things that the spirit is teaching so this stammering lips in another tongue is not about a foreign invasion it's about god invading <laughs> the, the places where darkness is ruled through a people that are in commune with him in, in the in the in the fruits of what jesus provided at at uh, Calvary and and what then happened uh, in the early church that was born at Pentecost, John the Baptist, John Luke three sixteen, was speaking and said, "I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I comes, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire." This passage. Is, is interesting from so many different ways, not, not the least of which is the Holy Ghost and fire. That, that's, that's an amazing thing. The, 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 the spirit of holiness and the igniting 
of the fire of function and the of the fire of power that God wants to give. But if the church was just about repenting of sins and being baptized, which is what a lot of churches want to make it, John, who was, in Jesus' words, the greatest prophet born to women and who was the one that led us to Jesus, why would he say that, you know, you come to me and you're, you're dealing with repentance and you're dealing with water baptism? If that's all there was, why would he then say, there's a, there's a baptism of the Spirit and fire coming? Why would he say that? I mean, if it was just about repenting and, and uh, being baptized so that you have a home in heaven, John pretty much didn't know what he was talking about here when he talked about there coming a baptism of the Holy Ghost in fire. Now, Jesus, before he ascended, before the day of Pentecost, he said in Mark 16, verse 17, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they will cast out devils, and they will speak with new tongues. And again, uh, naysayers and those who don't want to believe in any of the power of the Spirit will tell you. I'm just giving you a heads up in case you start reading a commentary that the 16th chapter of Mark is no good. I mean, it's, it's questionable. It was added on, and uh, you just leave it go. Because that's what you'll read in a lot of classic denominational commentaries. Well, it's convenient for them to say that and to believe it and to preach it loudly, but it is the Word of God. And this is what Jesus said, and you, you cannot take that out of there. You, can't, you cannot remove it from the Scripture. So, unknown tongues was prophesied in the Scripture. And um, both Isaiah and John the Baptist and Jesus all said that it was coming. And that's a, that's a, pretty, good, that's a pretty good synopsis of what the Word of God has to say. If you've got a preeminent prophet in the Old Testament saying it, if you've got John the Baptist saying it, if you've got Jesus saying it, that should be enough on its own. But if you've got all three of those saying it, then it's, it's pretty clear that unknown tongues is what we should be uh, sharing. Now, Acts 2.4, on the day of Pentecost, you know, Jesus told his disciples but before he ascended, there were about 500 of them there. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to pray uh, until the gift of the Father comes, the promise of the Father comes. And we know from what we read in the book of Acts about, um, about what they were doing in that prayer time, that it was supplication and it was uh, waiting on the Lord for interpretation that they were doing during that time. Now, Sadly, only about 25% of those people who saw him uh, ascend into heaven and who heard his command and who heard the angels angels come and tell them to go do it, only about 25% of them actually stuck it out and did it. I, I still can't understand that. I mean, if, if let's say a month ago the Lord Jesus appears to everybody and tells us to do something, and then when he floats up into heaven 
and you strain your eyes, you can't see him anymore. He's gone. And then you're all looking around, you're scratching your head. Some of you are on your face praying because it is an amazing thing. And then angels show up and they say, what are you doing just hanging around here? You go and do what he said. If that happened just a few weeks before, how in the world did 380 people decide, eh, it's not for me, I'm out of here? How could, how could you abandon it? It just goes to show that it's, it's a tendency of people to balk at what God really created them to do. And you have to discipline yourself, and you have to, you have to be willing to stick with it with all patience to fulfill what God has said. So when the day of Pentecost fully came, they were all filled, Acts 2, 4, with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We know that story from the book of Acts. There were tongues of fire on people's heads. There were those who were mocking, saying that the people who were speaking in these tongues were drunk. Now, seven verses later in in verse 11, it speaks about some of the languages that were heard. Uh, That is a term that is used, uh, xenolalia, uh, you know, in our day today, where there's all these phobias that people talk about, they talk about xenophobia. If you hear that on CNN or some other place, that means that you don't like other people from other nations. But xenolalia is a Pentecostal term that speaks about all these different languages that were being spoken. And what did they hear? Now, in English, it says in Acts 2.11, they heard them speak in their own koine, their own tongues, the wonderful works of God. Oh, isn't that great? And we focused on the fact that Cretes and Arabians and people from Egypt and people from all other nations that had come to this feast were hearing them speak in their language. Um, and and we, we focus on that. In fact, in the early days of the Pentecostal revival in the late 1890s, 1890s going into the 1900s, people took this literally, like people that came out of Fox's teachings or Parham's teachings, they would get up funds and they'd go into other countries. There's There's a story about people that received the call to go into India, and they thought that when they got to India, they were going to speak in an unknown tongue and just be able to preach to these people. It's documented, and they discovered that that really wasn't, God can do that, but that really wasn't what the meaning of Acts 2 was. And they found out the hard way. And um, but there have been times where we've all experienced this, um, in, especially in travel. I've told the story of of praying with a, a group of African pastors. We were ministering in, in Paris and there are a lot of uh, Commonwealth nations uh, where uh, African uh, pastors from these various nations came and set up churches there in the Paris metro area. So there were probably about 30 of these pastors, good good men, and we we taught about unknown tongues and diversities of tongues and laid hands on them, and, and then we were all praying. We were praying in the Spirit, and I was praying in the midst of three different pastors. We were all just all over the place, packed in there, and it was a wonderful thing. The Spirit of the Lord was moving, and the, the an older pastor who was kind of the 
the bishop of all these people. He was the one that was respected by all of them. When we finished the prayer time, he just was weeping. And he just was inconsolable. He was weeping. And we were talking, and and, um, through the interpreter, I asked him, Brother, is, is there something that we can pray with you about? Is there something the Lord showed you? And so he he started to talk, and he said, when we were praying, God was causing me to speak in one language after another, and it was it was really heavenly. And then all of a sudden, I heard, I heard a voice speaking in my tribal language, and he said, I looked to see who it was, and he pointed to me, and he said, you were speaking in my tribal language. You had your eyes closed, and you were just praying in, in the Spirit, and you called me by a name that only my grandfather called me when I was a little boy. He died when I was young. And, and for a series of minutes, th- the Spirit through you was speaking in that language, calling me by the name that only I would know that my grandfather called me. It was a term of endearment. Some of the names that your parents called you, it's, but this was a term of endearment, and 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 it just spoke to why God put me on this earth and what I was supposed to be doing, and it just touched me. It reminded me of the beauty of not only the power of tongues, but what um, what my purpose is to be, which. Is it was a wonderful thing. Now that's happened it, not just through me, but it's happened on a number of occasions through a number of different people, and God can do that. God does do that. But what was really said here in Acts two eleven? These people heard in their own tongues the Spirit talk about the wonderful works of God. Well, wonderful works there is the term megalaus. And it's from that power word, the New Testament power word, megas. And when we study, perhaps we'll do it in another semester, the, the five power words in the New Testament that the Scriptures use and the pattern of how they are always used. Megas is that term that speaks about God spreading out from the place where you have been established by him. It's the term that Jesus used when he said, because I go to my Father, the works that I've done and greater works will you do. And those who just read that in their, in their, in their Bible think, well, how in the world could we do a greater work than Jesus did? I mean, you know, he caused the, the, the lame to walk, the blind to see, arms to grow back. How can you beat that, the dead to rise? How can you beat that? How can you do a greater thing than that? It doesn't make sense in the natural. But when you think about it from what the original says, Jesus was sending us to the uttermost parts of the earth to spread the message of what he did and why he did it throughout the earth. It was a megas work because he went to the Father. And so these people were hearing God speak about in their language what he wanted to do in their lands the places to which they were going to be going back to soon. So it makes perfect sense. And um, if, But if you just read it in, in English or in whatever your language is, you may not, probably not, 
gain that bit of understanding, and you might be confused, as those early Pentecostals were. And again, God can, out of the multitude of languages, and we'll talk about diversities of tongues in our next teaching, but God can choose to speak in any language he wants at any time. But the purpose is for us to communicate through the empowerment of tongues what God is wanting to do in the spirit realm at that time, in the place where we're called to serve, and, and how he wants us to intercede. And that is, a, that is a great, great gift. Because God still looks for an intercessor. When he's going to do anything, he looks first for an intercessor. And that's, uh, that's, what we, uh, that's what we're called to be. So let's talk a bit about what actually, what part of us God actually uses when we speak in an unknown tongue. And this, again, was another part of confusion. <laughs> um, especially any pastor or any leader who, who ever stood in a prayer line, laying hands on tarrying people who wanted to speak in unknown tongues, we would have to counsel them through. You know, you're not going to be able to think this with your mind. You know, you've got to just, and, and, and there are all kinds of things. Sometimes people say, repeat after me, which is not a good strategy. Um, there would be those who'd say, um, you know, um, you've got to just shut off everything and all the counseling that go on in those, in those lines and, and all the frustration that people have. You know, people would think that they have to, they have to get the shake or some kind of a manifestation before they could speak. Or, you know, maybe God was going to come down and make them speak. Or there was going to be like uh, the Spirit would come down in a cloud. And because that happened, it, there was all kinds of thoughts and troubling concerns that people had. And they made it too hard to receive a gift. A gift. First um, Corinthians fourteen fourteen says, "If I pray in an unknown tongue, what does it say? Just want to make sure everybody's agreeing. My spirit prays. My understanding is unfruitful. My spirit prays. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> My spirit." It doesn't say, if I pray in an unknown tongue, suddenly there's a, a rush from heaven, and I just couldn't help myself. You know, it doesn't say that. What is my spirit, pray, me? Well, we understand from the Scripture that every one of us who is living on the earth as human beings we're only alive because God's Spirit has given us life. When every person dies, according to the Scripture, even our Lord Jesus, when death comes, the Spirit of life leaves you and goes back to God. That's what the Scripture says. And so every person has life because of the Spirit that God gave to them when they came into this world, or really, 
when they were conceived and in their mother's womb because the Bible says that when you were there, I knew you. In fact, even before the foundation of the world, I knew you. So God, as only God could, ordained that when you were going to be brought into your time on this earth, that there was going to be a dimension of him that was going to be in you. Now, what do you do with that? Most of the world, a good percentage of the world, who has not accepted Christ, they just utilize that God-given capacity for all kinds of other things. Now, I, I believe that that spirit within us is more than just a, um, a gift that brings us human ability to function. I think that it, it, it is a deposit of God within the person that speaks about what he wants to accomplish through you, how he wants to function through you and in you. It's kind of like a spiritual DNA, if I can borrow that term, uh, concerning what, how God wants to fulfill himself in your life and you subsequently be fulfilled in that point of partnership as, as a son, as, as, a, as, a, uh, as a partner with him. And when Jesus came, when Jesus came, he gave himself as a sacrifice so that that spirit might be born again. In John 3, when he was speaking to Nicodemus, verses 5 through 8, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it lists. You hear the sound thereof, but can't tell where it comes from or whether it, where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Here is Jesus saying, born of water and of the Spirit. Uh, born of water, of course, in their time frame with John being active meant you've got to repent. You've got to be done with the life of sin and the life of your own um, your fleshly desires, and you've got to turn and you've got to make a public commitment that you have done this, and then you've got to live like you've done it. And that would then be um, brought to its fulfillment, its ultimate eternal fulfillment through and only through the sacrifice of Jesus. And through that then, your spirit becomes alive to God. You're born again in spirit. And this is the place that the, the, the power of, of speaking in tongues comes from. Your spirit, which is only on loan to you. <laughs> uh, when, when we die or the rapture comes, our spirit goes back to God, and then what we've done with it is what's going to be judged by him. We will know as we're known, and hopefully that, that, uh, that, in, that partnership with God's spirit will form us as uh, the disciples of his throne that we should be. Now, it's, it's very interesting that sometimes people get confused again by what happened in John 20. And you can read this here. This was before Pentecost. This was before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is after Jesus <clears throat> rose from, um, 
the dead and before he ascended into heaven uh, near Bethany. And he, he calls his disciples together. He is risen. His sacrifice was already accomplished. Um, it was the perfect sacrifice. And now he's down there for that time where he's going to teach them about the kingdom before he ultimately ascends uh, at that uh, great event that we mentioned earlier. But this is before that. And he says in John, it says in John 20, 22, the disciples are locked away. They're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid they're going to be uh, murdered because of their following of Jesus. And Jesus comes and meet with them then. And he spoke to them. And then he breathed on them and said to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. This is a really problematic thing for a lot of people because this is before Pentecost. What is Jesus doing? And right then it doesn't say that they that they prayed in tongues or anything. What does this mean? Well, he is the risen Lord. These people had followed him. They believed him. In my opinion, these were the first ones who really received that activating from the risen Lord Jesus of the human spirit. They were then becoming activated and born again. Jesus breathed on them. It, it ignited the breath of God within them. And I believe this was obviously a, um, a, a wonderful, wonderful showing of what it means to be born again in spirit. Now receive. Receive the Holy Ghost. What does lembano mean? It, it is a term that is used loosely in a lot of ways, but the essence of this word means that you enter into an agreement, you accept it, and then you take responsibility for it. That's what lambano means. It's not a didami gift that just comes and you do whatever you want to do with it. This is a contractual arrangement where you accept something from somebody and you say, okay, from this point, I'm going to represent this. I, I'm not wavering. I'm going to do this. So when Jesus said, receive the Holy Ghost, he was saying, all right, I'm breathing on you. Are you willing to accept this and to become this? So that becoming is really a stirring point prior to Pentecost, and it was something that they really needed in order to then function in his teaching concerning the kingdom of God and concerning what they were going to do at Pentecost. You know, you, you can't just say that people being born again happened on the day of Pentecost. Those people were already living in the new covenant. They were partnering with God. And this, this is a very interesting thing. And then the next part of this, the next part of this 22nd verse and onward, speaks about speaking to other people about the forgiveness of sins and whatever you're teaching, if they accept that, then they enter into a point of forgiveness. If they reject it, they go on in an unrepentant way. So this, this verse, this section right here, is speaking more about the born-again experience from the risen Lord who sacrificed himself Two disciples who knew him, knew the message, knew what he was doing. They were the first recipients of this, of really being 
an igniting of their spirit. Now, another study that you could easily do is how the spirit moved in and upon people um, in the Old Testament. The spirit came upon a lot of people. And in fact, then people like uh, those in the courts of Pharaoh or those in the courts of Babylon would speak about Joseph or speak about Daniel and say, they would say, the spirit of Elohim is in you. Well, all they were saying is you're representing the God. You, you are moving in him. And, but, but the predominant number of times that the scriptures speak about um, the spirit in the Old Testament, it's a coming upon. Here, Jesus is breathing into them, not like in a Benny Hinn crusade, but he's breathing into them, and they are taking responsibility. They're receiving it, and that spirit then is active in them, and that is before Pentecost. And then he talks about their teaching, people accepting and being forgiven of sin or rejecting and not being forgiven. So this is that, that one capsule right there about receiving is really not the Pentecostal experience, but it is making the way for the Pentecostal experience. Does that make sense? So my spirit prays. And we need to remember that because this gift is received from within. It's not about you having Holy Ghost goosebumps. And if the mood's just right, if the right music's playing, and suddenly God opens the window. Your time has come. Boom. It's about you saying, Father, this is your gift. You have said, my spirit prays. This is what you want. So I'm going to receive and I'm going to, I'm going to submit myself. I'm going to submit my mind. I'm going to submit my tongue. And I'm just going to do it. Now, we've had instances where people were overwhelmed by the spirit they had uh, they had an extraordinary experience and they just started speaking in tongues and 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 after afterwards they come out of that experience and they think i don't know what happened i was just overwhelmed that's a wonderful thing but that is not the norm that is something that god obviously did for that person just like any number of you in this room or in, in places that are hearing this teaching, God moves with us in different ways. You get into big trouble trying to emulate somebody else's experience. You should not do that. God is no respecter of persons, but what he does in you is, is simply for you from him. Now, you can use others as examples, and you can say, well, uh, you know, iron sharpens iron. You know, I can see, just like I did with my older siblings, I could see what they did, and I learned a whole lot about what I shouldn't do because I'll get in trouble if I do that. Or if I'd learn, you know, I can still do that, but this is how they got caught, so I can do it in another way. But they, you know, it's just like, you see, we've got two wonderful little granddaughters. They watch the older girls. And they emulate, what, well, look what they're doing with their hair. Look what they're doing with their makeup. Look what they're doing, you know, and they, if, they, if, they would, if I would let them, they'd put makeup on me. They fix my hair, and you should see some of that. I intend to let them keep doing it as long as they want to and as long as I still have hair. But anyway, 
you can you can see look this is what the scripture said this is happening through that person i can experience this too but just because somebody else had a a knockdown drag out encounter with tongues that's not the norm you know how i spoke in tongues I was in that tarrying thing. We were all confused as to how it would happen. I don't know how many times I went up and got prayed for. And I went to a youth uh, retreat. And um, these hippie guys were playing guitars and singing. It was a real cool thing to do. And they prayed for us to receive the baptism. Nothing happened in me. I didn't know what was. I was waiting on something to come over and take over. And I went off by myself in the room and they were still worshiping and after about 10 minutes i thought you know i've studied i've memorized these verses i know what the scripture says i know this is real and i'm just going to speak because it's a gift i'm processing all this and i just started speaking and i've been speaking in tongues ever since and um you know and but i've recognized that it is from the scriptures my spirit that prays that spirit that is born again now first corinthians 13 1 says though i speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not agape i'm speaking a sounding brass or tink- tinkling symbol the essence for this is that t- tongues of men and angels the motive of it all has to be agape And what we've studied about agape from the Hebrew root word agab is that it is a passionate pursuit of something. The passionate pursuit of what God wants to do. It is not necessarily a benevolent work because that's what charity usually is interpreted as or some kind of a philanthropic endeavor. Those things are good. We should be gracious people. We should be loving and giving people. But this agape here is to seek after what God wants and to do it with everything that was in you. And that's why then Paul speaks about, you know, if I give my body to be burned or if I give all my goods to the poor, those those seem like pretty benevolent and philanthropic things. When you say if you give all your goods to feed the poor, you're doing it. So how how can you do that and not have benevolence? See, that doesn't make any sense. The agape is what we need. And that's the essence of tongues. So the first thing we want to know about what tongues, unknown tongues accomplishes is that in some wonderful way, it is partnering with God on behalf of his eternal purpose. And it is the essence. It's, it's, that, it's more than lumbano. It's more than I receive and accept this. It's, it's that um, it is that you are committed to him and to his ways now let's look at some of the passages and pick on certain words that the divine author used and what they mean first corinthians 14 2 he that is speaking in an unknown tongue does not speak to men but unto god we're going to talk about that no man understands him because in the spirit he speaks mysteries or mysterion two important things there you're speaking to god you're speaking 
through the Spirit of God that was given you, that was born again through the blood of Jesus, and only through the blood of Jesus, you're speaking to your Heavenly Father. You are communing with Him about His purpose, but it's, it's, it really is about relationship with God. It is a gift that God gives that bypasses the mind, bypasses our ideas, bypasses all of the things that, that we would deduce. Because there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is, is, uh, is destruction. God's ways are not our ways. And so we're communing with our Father. We have to remember that. That is essential. So, what is it that we're speaking? Mysterion. Now, again, we'll study about the mysteries of God in, 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 in a later teaching. But mysterion is a key word, and you have to understand it. The overall mystery of God, what he's going to do, is characterized as an apocalypsis. And he does this in an overall way, but in seasons of time, epochs of time. In the midst of that, Mysterion speaks about steps in the fulfillment of that overall purpose. It's like the hands of a clock. If you're dealing with an hour, that would be, let's just say, a, an apocalypsis time frame. But every minute of that time is a progression of the fulfillment of that, and that's Mysterion. And, and, and when we speak in other tongues, we're speaking to God. And God is, through our intercession, we're praying about what God is, tr is doing right now. Things that we may not understand. Things that may not be written in any book, but God is revealing them and they will be confirmed by the Scripture. So we're praying, Musterion, when we talk to God. It is the revelation of that purpose that is, um, that is being fulfilled, that we're passionately pursuing. And so that is a key thing for us to see. Our spirit, born again through Christ, is speaking to the eternal spirit of God from which he, he has given it. It's him. And we're communing with him about what he wants through us as an intercessor. And we're talking about things that need to be brought forth right now. Things we may not understand, everything that's coming, but what we know right now is that this has to be done now, and we're asking God. We're talking things in these languages, whatever God has chosen, that have great impact in the realm. Some of those languages will speak to the angelic. Some of them will speak to creation. Some of them will speak to scenarios. Some of them will set in motion um, sequences uh, concerning what God has ordained to do in a city or in a time frame. There are so many different ways that God will use these tongues, but we're communing with him, we're speaking to him, and on behalf of him, we're interceding about the progression of his will. Mysterion. Uh, verses 4 and 5 of that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 14. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Now, let's look at that. 
this oikodome is a an architectural term it it speaks about the plans of how something is supposed to function what it is what is it that you're building now i never built any buildings uh, <laughs> uh, my wife will tell you i'm not really that interested in constructing anything other than a mess and uh, but when i was a kid i would build model cars and i know probably some of you have did that when you were kids and you could even paint them you know that was really cool those tester paints and you, you, but but you you couldn't just bust open the box and just start putting things where you want you had to you had even Bing Crosby wouldn't do that you would you would you would look at the instructions that the plan and you'd say okay this goes here this goes here because the end result is this cool thing that's on the box cover I remember one time I made the the Munsters car from the TV show. And man, that was a lot of fun. Or airplanes. I would build airplanes too. But you had to follow the plan. You just couldn't wing it. That was not going to work. You could do a lot of cool things with that glue too. But you had to keep it where you were supposed to keep it. And the oikodome speaks about that. So when we're speaking in an unknown tongue, Whatever God's plan is for you through the deposit of that Spirit for your time on earth is being developed. It is being put into practice, and as you're putting it into practice, it's being developed. That is important. Now, in verse 5, it says that we've got to be careful that we interpret. Now, classic Pentecostal is... Uh, and I won't spend much time on it because we're almost out of time. Thus saith the Lord, after somebody erupts in a message of unknown tongues, I am coming soon, or whatever it might have been. I mean, that was the that was the predominant one that I heard a lot. But this term is a term that anybody anybody who went to Bible college or seminary, you recognize the term hermeneutics. And it's how you study in order to prepare a message for presentation. How you put together the pieces of understanding so that you can communicate with somebody a truth that perhaps they needed to hear or maybe hadn't heard before. So this is the dimension of interpretation. And it, it really speaks of, its, it, it speaks of that that when we're praying and we're speaking mysteries and the Father is using us, we are learning bit by bit what it is that we're going to have to communicate to others or apply in our spiritual walk. That is the essence of interpretation. And, and it's basically how all of us learned all the things that God has taught us uh, the deeper things of the Word of God, things that uh, through growing up in the church and through eight, eight years of higher learning that I never saw before. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention in class, but I don't think that was the case. But the Spirit, through intercession, spending time on our face before God, listening to what the Spirit is saying, then studying the Word, searching the unsearchable riches that God revealed so that we could then 
do, and teach. That is the essence of interpretation. And in fact, in that discussion with the Corinthian church, he says, when you're coming together and you've got people prophesying and speaking in tongues, if there's nobody there that's going to be able to process and say, if there's no interpreter present, the same word, if there's nobody there that can make sense of what God is doing and keep it all in line, you all just need to be quiet. <laughs> so it's important that we're learning something, that we're learning something, and then we're building upon. That's, that's what he says here. Now, I love what Jude verse 20 says. It says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. This is a, a derivative of oikodome, but this is epoikodomio. It's a very cool word. I'm glad I was able to say it right the first time. And this means to build upon an established work according to the progression of plan. That's interesting to me because not only are you fulfilling the the plan of what God put you on this earth to do in him and through him. But Jude says you've got to keep on praying in the Spirit so that what has already been established will continue to be built upon. Now, isn't it interesting that as saints, as people who pray in the Spirit and are on our faces praying, one of the things that we have all noticed, if somebody stops praying in the spirit you don't see them not that you judge people but somebody's been praying for years and years and years and all of a sudden they just aren't coming to prayer anymore and even when you're around them in a prayer time you notice i'm not being critical but you just you just aren't you're just not doing it you know what what's going on um it, that's usually the first way that the enemy will try to take somebody out They've come to a certain level in the Spirit, and then they stop praying, and they stop building, and, and then they really aren't going after the continuing development of what God wants. I'm not judging anybody, but what Jude says is you've got to keep on praying in the Spirit. The Apostle Paul said that he prayed in the Spirit more than any. He prayed in tongues more than any of the people in that port city. And you've got to keep doing it if you want to see God continue to develop you. Now, the last passage we want to look at, and then we'll end for today, is 1 Corinthians 14, verses 15 through 17. We're still progressing in this passage. Um, here, two words are used that are, are very important. Uh, it's speaking about how you minister in the things of the spirit and how you process that for people who are unlearned or who don't understand and it's through that business of patterning and interpreting but it says it characterizes you praying in the spirit and doing what you do in the spirit with two things one is that you bless with the spirit eulogio and the other is that you give thanks well Eucharistio. Eulogio is the good purpose of God, really. It's logos, which is that eternal 
the fullness of what God wants and and the the good way that it's done. So you are focusing on that when you're ministering in the Spirit, and you're also focusing on the caries, the grace, the continually progressing forward. All of these words in 1 Corinthians 14 are there. You're talking to God. You're walking in mysteries. You are you are speaking things that are in accordance with his eternal purpose. You're partnering in grace. Every one of these things is spoken. But if we say thanks and bless, and if we say um, any of the common words in our language, we may not understand what God's saying. But here's what God says. Your spirit is praying. You're talking to God. You're not talking to men. It's commune with him. Your spirit, which is born again, is speaking in these tongues. You are speaking his mysteries. You are speaking in accordance with his eternal agape, the passion for his purpose. You are speaking in accordance with the eternal logos of God. You are speaking in the progression of grace. All of those things describe what happens when you're moving in the things of the Spirit and you're speaking in tongues. Do you hear much of that when you hear people talk about unknown tongues? Especially not the crowd that says, we don't need this today. If you say that we don't need to speak in tongues any longer, well, you're, you're, you're abdicating what God wants to do through your spirit. You're not partnering in the musterion. You're not really partnering in the development of his eternal word. You're not really partnering in moving forward in grace or any of the, you're not being built up in what you should be. Or, or using all that God put you on this earth to do. So finally, verse 39, covet to prophesy the things that God is revealing, but don't forbid to speak with tongues. We need this. And I pray that as you continue to study these scriptures that we've talked about, trace the words through your lexicons that we referenced, See how the Spirit uses them in other places and recognize that those things are happening when you pray in unknown tongues. So, God bless you. Thank you for joining today. We'll be back soon with another teaching on diversities of tongues. And until then, God bless you.